Recently, the weather community has been focused on telling stories about mental health, and we wanted to join in and share some of our own personal experiences. In listening to Becky DePodwin and Dakota Smith talking about their experiences and interviewing people within the weather community about mental health awareness on their podcast, In the Elements, we thought that we would support them and also share some of our stories and also, you know, hopefully get people to talk about this very important issue because it affects so many people within our world and our scope in, in life. That and more coming up on Weather Hype, a podcast where we talk about weather, climate, and how it affects you. I'm Castle. And I'm Min. Our conversation on mental health is coming up. Now I'm the reason why you broke up with him and got back together Thought I was sunshine, but baby, I'm bad weather I'm off the Doppler in the five-day forecast By the time they hear me, I've already pushed the shore back No, no, I wasn't always like this Skies cleared soon as my daylight lit Sidewalks dried up, no snow emergency I could take you February and turn it into spring Get gone, I get gone, and I don't need anyone to know better. Hey, Castle. How is it going? Hey, I'm doing good. How are you? Not too shabby. I feel like every time we start off, it's like, hey, Castle, how's it going? Good. Yeah, like How about just, you? Great. It's like this, like... Like we just picked not... up the phone and called each other. Yeah. It's like when you walk across the street and you see somebody <laughs> and then you just wave. It's like an acquaintance, right? Like yeah. somebody you don't actually know at work or walking down the street and you're like hey how's it going the obvious choice is great how are you you know yeah but sometimes it's, it's not that. always that though it's not always yeah we we mix it up sometimes but when it's good it's good and when it's not so good it's not so good you know <laughs> <laughs> yep you just gotta be honest about it yeah and you know in being honest about things i um we both actually were on social media on twitter and we saw becky DePodwin's posts about mental health she had written a blog post on medium about her experiences in meteorology and beyond and how she's coped with all that and so her and dakota smith our friends uh at the in the elements podcast they decided to dedicate two different podcast episodes to mental health and we decided we wanted to help support some of those things that they are doing and continue that conversation on our own podcast as well because this is something that you and I talk about you know with each other but not so much do we blast it out or talk about it on our podcast right well we do um kind of promote self-care and making sure you're balancing your work and life um Mm -hmm. but we don't really go into the specifics of mental health and kind of the experiences that we've gone through and maybe some strategies that we've learned along the way so I think it's important that we kind of go a little deeper um in this episode and uh kind of continue the conversation like you said it's important that we uh since Becky and Dakota have opened the door it's important for us to continue talking about it instead of um well Becky Dakota and many others um Mm -hmm. have opened the door and so I think it's important that we continue to talk about it and make it more kind of this normal thing to to discuss versus something that happens behind closed doors or it's kind of hush hush or that you only share with your closest friends it's important that we are a community and so it's something that we should be open about and discussing 
Exactly. And I, I feel totally on point with what you just said. And, you know, listening to uh, the first episode of their mental health episode, they had Ginger Z on, you know, she was a meteorologist, chief meteorologist at ABC in Good Morning America. And she has struggled with depression, even uh, attempts of suicide, and a lot of things going on in her life. And she's a very notable weather personality in our field, an amazing meteorologist. And to hear her talk about her struggles was, was kind of strange to me because you know, we see somebody who is on TV, we see the success that she exudes, and it seems like she's very good at what she does, and she is. But what yep. we don't see, and what people may not talk about as much, is the behind-the-scenes stuff, like you said. Um, right. And they interviewed also on that episode National Weather Service shift workers who are working incredibly difficult hours, you know, throughout the early morning from maybe midnight till noon. Other folks within the weather enterprise also working really, really crazy hours and that can really take an emotional toll on you. Um, and also graduate school, talking to people who've gone through graduate school and have gone through a lot mentally, emotionally, not just the demand of the schoolwork, but the demand on your on your mind and, and how you feel and how you think. It's very taxing. It can lead to very dangerous and scary things. So those are some of the conversations we hope to continue on this episode as well yeah that was a uh, fantastic episode part one um part two came out today or yesterday and we're excited to listen to that as well um but like min said there was some great themes that came out of that episode and we just want to continue the conversation to talk about it and to think through some of our own experiences and how that may translate into other conversations so castle we've both talked about with each other some of those experiences that we've gone through did you want to maybe share a story with our listeners and kind of give a little bit of a personal perspective on um, some of the things you, you have dealt with and, and how you continue to cope with them? Sure. Um, so a lot of people don't know this, but I uh, was diagnosed with generalized anxiety disorder or GAD for short um, when I was 18 years old. So basically what that means is I have consistent and persistent worrying about anything and everything. So normally like just driving to work or thinking about a, a meeting that I have later in the day, everything is kind of amplified in the anxiety that it brings to me. Um, and so mm -hmm. for a while, I just thought it was just my normal. So I didn't feel like there was anything wrong with me. Um, I just thought that this was just what people deal with. This is what worrying feels like. This is what anxiety feels like, or this is just what it feels like to be a person. But luckily when I was 18, I was able to be diagnosed with it. It was right before I went to college. And so my a doctor I saw was able to see the kind of the symptoms and the signs and it was able to prescribe some medication for me, which I take on a daily basis, which helps a lot with kind of easing the anxiety. Um, to kind of give uh, a description of what it's like to have generalized anxiety disorder, um, for me personally, it materializes itself as this kind of rumination. So I constantly think about experiences or things that I have coming up or um, even like the slightest, like writing an email. Um, once it's written and I've sent it, I go back and read, reread it to make sure that it sounded good and, and that um, mm -hmm. it was okay and that it, I didn't say anything crazy. Um, so I just kind of ruminate on things a lot. And so that takes up a lot of my time and really uh, kind of bogs me down uh, mentally. The other aspect of it is intrusive thoughts. And so uh, this can be best described as like, um, for me in particular, I think about it in terms of bad situations. So if I'm driving down the road, for example, 
I think, oh, that car could come over here and hit me. And then I would go flying off the side of the road or a deer could come in front and run in front of me and I would hit it or it could start raining and I could go through a puddle and like slide across the road. So for me, it's more Mm -hmm. of a, uh, I go through different possible scenarios and ruminate on those. And so it, it's kind of, uh, intrusive and rumination put together so it really bogs down kind of my mental energy as well as uh kind of my heart rate and anxiety um so it's something that i deal with and something that a lot of people don't know about but i'm telling everyone now and it's uh something that sets me back but it doesn't hold me back and i make sure in order to to conquer it um to conquer my, my anxiety and deal with it. And so sometimes what I do is I watch television shows that seems to calm me down, especially any kind of real housewives or um ironically things that are like high energy and like uh like high strung and maybe like they cuz they fight a lot and people are always like how does that calm you down and um I'm not really mm-hmm. sure why it does, but um those kind of things listening to music is good for lowering my anxiety. But I think it's just important to figure out what works for you. Um, people can tell you different things all day long, but it's very personal. And the strategy strategies that you use in order to deal with your mental health, um, in particular, like your anxiety or depression. Um, so I think it's important for you to kind of think through things that that you've noticed reduce your anxiety or kind of assist in bringing you out of some sort of depressive state and just keep trying different things in order to figure out what works. So that's my story. Min, what about you? I know we've, like you said, we've discussed our own personal mental health before. Um, so is there anything you would like to share or different points that you would like to bring up? Yeah, no, I think you, you know, thanks for sharing that. And even when you just talked, I learned a lot more about your generalized anxiety i think we've definitely spoken about it to a degree but you know hearing some of those specifics i think really helped me to understand kind of where i stand too because i haven't actually been diagnosed with anything specifically i don't i guess when i was really i've dealt with it you know anxiety and depression for a large chunk of my life and i know throughout undergraduate um it was it was some there were some issues with everything coming together. I think what I've realized when my anxiety and depression starts to hit, it's when there are a lot of things coming in at one time that are kind of overwhelming Mm -hmm. for me. So um, it might be an academic school related stuff, maybe stuff related to my uh, school, my program and my tests and projects that I have coming up. And then on top of that, social life aspects, friendships that I have with different people, balancing that friendship and making sure that I'm maintaining that relationship with everybody and also, you know, love life, commitments, everything coming together. And when things seem to just all um, plow into one another in a very bad way, that's when I start to have my moments where I'm, I'm freaking out and, and everything else. So, you know, I've been dealing with it on and off for quite a while. And I remember, you know, as a kid, you know how everyone always says you have like an emo stage? Yeah. Did you ever I like, did not. right? So... Okay, so you didn't. And I know a lot of people, they're like, oh, yeah, you know, like you're wearing like black, like goth colors. Mm -hmm. And, you know, for me in middle school, I always was like a really I've always been a very happy, seemingly happy guy, very positive, you know, always trying to cheer people up, the class clown. Um, But you know what, you know, people say and it may or may not be true, but, you know, people say those who are most positive sometimes are dealing with a lot and they're trying to stay positive on the exterior because there are a lot of things that are hiding inside. I know that's not always the case and I'm not trying to generalize, but for me, I felt like that was kind of what it was. 
for me also, I, I kind of went through an emo stage-ish where I think I was always talking about like death mm-hmm. and like being sad about it. And people always were like, dude, why do you always talk about like dying and death? And I was like, I don't know. It's just something I talked about. Don't know if that's really related, but um, I had a talk with my friend when I was uh, at Fire Island, New York this past summer, and she's in the medical profession. And so she had, <laughs> it's not a sorting hat quiz or something online, I swear, but there's like a technique where people can help to kind of figure out what might be bothering you or what the issue might be. So there were a lot of series of questions that she did over the phone with me for quite a while. And then she, after all of that, it seemed to come down to generalized anxiety disorder for myself as well. And when you were talking about your symptoms and some of the struggles you have, a lot of those are also what I suffer from mm-hmm. as well. Um, intrusive thoughts is a huge one for me. I will always think about worst case scenario for any situation. Um, sometimes there are like thoughts that in my head that I just want to get out. You know, I'm thinking I feel really bad and really like gross for thinking yep. these things mm-hmm. sometimes. And also like when I'm driving down the road, like it happened yesterday, I think I was like driving or the other day when I was driving down the highway from Atlanta and I was like, dude, if I just like my steering wheel, I just like swerved it real quick. I could just flip my car and die. Yeah. Like that's, I don't know if it's TMI, but it's just like, it's what I deal with pretty much yeah. every day. Um, and you know, I haven't really gone sort uh, down the medication route. I haven't really seen a professional about it. Um, I have gone to a therapist for a little bit. I went to a therapist this past summer for a few sessions and talked about some of the issues with her. But it, um, I haven't really sought anything. Because in my mind, I feel like I don't want to take medication. I know some people have that really strong, maybe resentment isn't the right word, but they don't want to take medication. And I feel like I fall in that category mm-hmm. a little bit. Like, I want to try everything else before I even consider medication. But that's not to say medication is a terrible thing at all. Like, you are on medication, and it's very helpful for you. And so I was going to ask you, before you were on the medication, did you have any, um, you know, potential fears of being medicated to help alleviate some of your anxiety uh, from when your doctor prescribed it? Or how did that kind of work? Um, I did have fears uh, taking medication. Um, sorry, I'm just trying to figure out how deep I want to go here. Um, no, no, for um, sure. Whatever you're comfortable with. So, yes, I did have fears taking medication. Um, so my mom growing up, she is diagnosed as bipolar. And so I watched her take medication of a variety of sorts um, in order to keep that at bay. And so mm-hmm. when it was my time to, to when I got diagnosed with GAD, I, there was some hesitation. I It wasn't fun watching her like take all these medicines and go through like this mental health battle growing up. And so mm-hmm. it was just difficult to kind of rationalize me taking medicine, but I, I knew I wanted to feel different. I knew that this wasn't supposed to be how I felt. I wasn't mm-hmm. supposed to be mentally exhausted every day because I was dealing with like twice the amount of rumination and thinking that I should have been doing. And so I thought I would give it a a shot. They say that medication needs to be in your system for two to three weeks in order for it to take full effect, um, especially when Mm -hmm. dealing with mental health, because you need to have your uh, all the different uh, chemicals in your body kind of balance out based on that medication. And so I tried 
I told myself I would give myself a month and I would reevaluate at that point how I felt and sure. uh, if I thought that it was being beneficial to my mental health and physical health and everything. And so at yeah. that point, I realized that it had made significant differences because um, at that time I had severe, severe anxiety about going to college and like leaving everything behind and starting this new like path and this new kind of life. And so mm-hmm. once I realized that I was able to be more outgoing and to try new things and be open to more experiences, I felt like that my anxiety was kind of under control a bit. Um, and so sure. at that point I agreed to continue down the medication path and I've been taking it ever since. And I feel like it's been very beneficial for me. But again, I go back to this personal thing. Like you have to figure out, you have to evaluate exactly. your own personal health and your own personal well being, and figure out if medication is right for you. So exactly. Um, I mean, we're, we're here to talk about our experiences and we're not, we don't want to, you know, this is not a prescription for you. This is for us to kind of open that dialogue, but just to make sure that everybody here understands that, you know, just because medication worked for Castle may not mean that it will work for you, but that's for you to hopefully explore with a physician that you trust in your family um, and have that kind of conversation to see what would work best Um, because everybody is different and everyone will react to different things in different ways. But, you know, for me, like I was saying this summer, I saw a therapist and, you know, they, they say that when you're seeking out a therapist, it you kind of have to, again, choose a therapist that really works with you and jives with you well. So I've, I know a lot of people who will go to a therapist and they may not really have that connection. They don't really have that chemistry necessarily. Mm-hmm. And so they actually will go and, and find another therapist and they'll they'll go therapist shopping, if you will, for a little bit to see who they um, feel like they fit with the most. And that is something that is very normal from what I'm, I understand. Um, I only saw the one therapist and I felt that she and I got along pretty well. Um, but I could definitely see that there are different ways of going through therapy. Um, my therapist was more focused on some of the more scientific aspects of therapy, understanding how your body works, the physiology, and where like the nerve endings go, um, how your emotions and thoughts can influence um, even the size of your brain, things like that. And um, she talked a lot about astrology and using essential oils and things of that nature. So um, that was my therapist. But there are plenty of options out there um, for therapy that could potentially be very beneficial uh, for you. You know, for another form of therapy, I guess, for me is talking to family and friends that I really trust. Um, that's not an official therapy, but I think surrounding yourself with people that you know really love you and are there for you having a conversation with them um, about this type of stuff, things that you're struggling with, because we all struggle with things all the time. Yep. No matter what you see on Instagram or on social media, it it's not the whole story, trust me. I, I know that everybody looks like they're having the time of their lives, but we're all going through something, one or another, um, some, th- some issues, and some may be worse than others, we don't know. But social media doesn't tell the whole story. And I think that the day and age that we live in right now where social media is just everywhere, it's ubiquitous, people will judge their own life against other people's and say, wow, like, my life sucks, you know, compared to other people. And, you know, maybe, you know, things aren't so great for you and it can really take a toll. 
for me, sometimes I'll have a social media binge where I kind of stay off of social media for a while, off of Facebook or Twitter or Instagram or Snapchat, one or the other, and just kind of take time to really do me and focus on myself. These are things that tend to help sometimes, but, you know, there are always good days and bad days. Right today, I felt pretty okay. Tomorrow may not be the same thing. I know earlier this week, I definitely wasn't feeling so great. And Castle, I'm sure you can attest to that as well, that it's not rainbows and butterflies once you, you know, find a cure. You know, there is no technical, like, you know, thorough cure for what you're going through. But there are things that can certainly help you alleviate some of those issues and different practices that you can take. But it's, it's tough, you know. It is. And sometimes it's not even a day to day thing. Sometimes I go through a week or two of feeling down and feeling like I'm not getting anywhere in my work or I'm not feeling productive. And once again, it's these like ebbs and flows. I mean, it's part of life that we all go through these things. But especially when you're in undergraduate or grad school, you're under so much pressure in order to get these projects done, to get these tests done, to get these papers written. And unlike work, there's no off switch. There's no time where to feel like you can relax. These projects and things are always hanging above your head. You never can really step away from uh, the responsibilities and duties that you have. And so it's important for you to kind of carve out time for yourself and to make sure that you are seeking balance. You're doing self-care. It's okay to take a personal day sometimes. If you don't have class on a Wednesday, it seems weird to not do work. But if you are not going to be productive that day anyway, it's better to kind of relax, give the day to yourself, and do something that is just for you. Treat yourself. Yeah. Treat yourself. 2018. (laughs) (laughs) I actually just watched the episode on Parks and Rec yesterday. Rewatched it anyway. I know, it's funny. You know, something that you were saying kind of sparked a thought in my head of people say, you know, into our generation, the millennials, like we didn't know how to be told no when we were kids. We were the generation that got trophies all the time. We were the generation that was coddled throughout our whole entire childhood. So now when real life hits us, we don't know how to deal with it. Mm hmm. I don't think there could be anything further yeah. from that. It, it really angers me when I hear that um, because today, like, you know, my parents will say, wow, like, you know, when I was a kid, I went through a lot too, you know, and I tell them every life is different. Everybody is different and you cannot compare one life to another and say, oh, well, if you're dealing with that, you shouldn't like don't, it's not fair for someone to invalidate your feelings and how you truly feel. I think that's something very important to to note. And for you listening um, everybody, it, if you feel a certain way, it is the way you feel, and no one should ever try to tell you that the way you feel is not the right way to feel. If you're feeling really sad about something, you know, you have to figure out why you're feeling sad, but also validate it and recognize that you are feeling that way. Um, part of overcoming a lot of these mental issues is really to understand how you feel, what causes or triggers the way you feel, and get a better understanding of your body. It's when people say things like, you know, you're not going through stress at all. You're you're not going through anything like those troops that are fighting for our, our freedom overseas in Afghanistan or Iraq or Iran or anywhere else in the mm-hmm. world. Um, those types of stresses, those types of anxieties and, you know, post-traumatic stress disorder, those things are very valid for those people. But we also live in an in a area and in a, in a state and what we go through that can also trigger the exact same 
stressors in our yep. mind that can have just as detrimental of an effect. No matter what you're going through, your personal life, there are different triggers that will affect you in, in a very different or very similar way, actually, than other people who may people look at and say, oh, well, they're going through a lot more. They're being shot at or they're being you know, attacked. Well, a test or exam may not seem like the biggest deal when you compare it like that, but it still affects you in almost the same way as it would affect somebody else who's going through an actually life-threatening situation. So to those people who make those comparisons, or if you hear those comparisons, um, that your your stress isn't as bad as someone else's stress, that's not exactly true because everybody handles things in a roughly similar way, but also different. But um, there are a lot of connections to that and a lot of literature and research that shows that the the stress you go through is just as terrible as a different type of stress that someone else is going through. Yeah, I think the keyword and what you just said is you. So everyone is different. The soldier that's across seas may not have the same reaction to a test that they're taking, but it's at the individual. It's at an individual level. We can't generalize this out to a societal level. Everyone is different. So if you're taking a test and it it causes you stress and uh, trauma, then that's a valid thing. Like it, you have to recognize how you're feeling and why you're feeling it and don't avoid those feelings. The worst thing you can do is kind of put off the, the feelings that you're having or dealing with those emotions because it's only going to continue to build and build until you break. And so yeah. it's important to not only validate those feelings, but also recognize them. You have to, you have to, be willing to say that I'm having these feelings. I'm having depressive feelings. I'm ha- I'm being, I'm feeling anxious. I am feeling these things and you have to be able to maybe not necessarily vocalize it, but realize it in your own person, in your own life and figure out how is best for you to tackle those challenges that you're facing. Yeah. You know, a question that we've gotten from a few people within meteorology specifically, because that's kind of who we want to you know, target this episode towards and, and for everybody. But, you know, for a lot of people that we see our peers, our colleagues, our friends who are going through a lot as students in meteorology, both an undergrad and graduate, what could change? What could be different? For me, I think a lot of it comes down to some of the courses that we have to take. I understand atmospheric science and meteorology are tough. You know, not everybody can go through it and that's fine. But I think there are some courses that are so unnecessary in a way that they take such a toll, a mental toll on you that it really screws you up and, you know, lack of a better word for it. You know, I've heard horror stories about professors who have these courses or these classes where they know it's, you know, quote unquote, a weed out course where they're trying to get people out. Um, They make it as difficult as they can. People are staying up you know, all night studying for these classes. And the material that you learn, it's wonderful, but there are definitely what better ways to teach you where you can retain the information and apply it to real life. You don't need to learn an entire entire textbook of information to be successful and then be tested on things that you may not even have gone through in class. Like, I, there are times where I've taken exams where I'm like, that we never even talked to anything remotely similar to what's on the right. exam. <laughs> why, why even do that? And they're like, well, you know, it's, it's helping to weed people out. Or, you know, you should use your deductive reasoning skills or whatever, your uh, brain's power to solve this equation or this problem, even though we never went through it. 
and I, I understand that there are some tactics to teaching that work and are effective, but you know, I hear these horror stories about people having to drop out of school and they go through depression because they feel like such a failure. And I don't, I don't know. I, I, there has to be something different that changes within our curriculum. Sometimes there are so many great ways to teach that grades don't need to suffer and you can still learn incredibly a lot, you know, without going through all that, all the crap of, Oh, well I have to suffer and worry about my grades and everything else. Like, it doesn't have to be that way, but I think there's a traditional style of yes. teaching that is so grade centric. And I know administrations and stuff that GPA is very important too. So it, it's like a more foundational issue, but courses where grades aren't the biggest deal, where they really put up front your learning experiences and what you learn and how you can apply that. Those are the most meaningful courses that don't have to be stressful, but you take away so much more from it, you know? No, I agree. And I think that you really hit the nail on the head when you said it kind of revolves around the education, the teaching style. Not only that, but perhaps the syllabi or the syllabus, because I know in some of these more tough courses or these quote unquote weed out courses, they have three tests and that's it. That's all you like. That's all you have for your grade. When in reality, like there's so many different experiences or kind of work problems or different things that you could work through that meteorologists deal with on a daily basis that would provide more experience on what it's like to maybe forecast or um, deal with these kind of challenges that meteorologists deal with on a daily basis. so that people could work through those challenges in kind of an educational environment versus having three tests where you have to know everything or you're kind of screwed. There's never in real life, I feel like, exams where you have to like pass. I mean, there are some. And you memorize things. Yeah, there are. And then you forget them (laughs) because you're just memorizing them. Yeah, there are some things that 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 might apply to, but for the most part, it really isn't. But it's what you're taught. And when you go into the real world and you start going through a job, it's like, okay, well, that's not how it is at all. Yet you go through so much like after finishing undergrad and graduate school, I'm thinking, man, those exams, I stress out so much about it and miss out on so much of my life. But for what? Right. But the grade. Yeah, a grade. A number. Exactly. And numbers and grades should not define necessarily how successful you can be as a student or whatever. But it's so easy to say that now that I've finished because I worked so hard and all that success and the good grades have gotten me to where I am now. But if I were back in that situation again, I would not be listening to my own advice and say, oh, well, grades don't matter. Like you can, you know, you can get a B or a C and you'll be fine. You'll find a job. I can't guarantee that in any way, you know, and so... It's a demanding major. Everybody knows that. But I think there are certainly ways. Like our professor, Dr. Knox, he's an amazing educator. And he taught us data assimilation at an undergraduate level, which I think he said was like the only data assimilation class in any meteorology program in undergraduate at that level. And the way he taught it was so cool. We, We learned a little bit of computing on MATLAB. Mm -hmm. We had a lot of interactive projects. We had like a time where we brought out like slinkies and we're bouncing uh, slinkies around to kind of, I guess, portray the types. Yeah. Different types of short wave, long wave. Um, It was such a great class. It was really hard. The homework 
was so difficult. We all had to come together and sit in groups on like a Friday afternoon when everybody's going out having fun on a beautiful Friday afternoon. We were sitting in the classroom working on our homework together as a class because it was very difficult. But, you know, the exams were very fair and we learned so much. I learned so much from that class. And that goes down for me as one of the more successful classes where you can still teach a very difficult topic and subject. But if you teach it in a way that's fun, that doesn't emphasize that grades are the only way to measure your success, you know, those type of teachings are are a lot more effective. And I know a lot of teachers at meteorology programs, they're research professors. They have to do their research. And teaching may or may not be second or third on their priority list. That's the reality of it. I'm not going to sugarcoat it. And I don't think anybody who disagrees would you know, nope. would be disagreeing in good faith because that's that's how it is. Um, but if we could only get people who were educating our students in a more effective way and could really understand how their teaching style can really affect the future of these students, I would think that we would have so much better students. But again, research is what brings money into schools. So yeah. if it's not about the money, which unfortunately it is, um, and, you know, if pe- students were put as a priority, as like the first thing that people should care about in education, you know, I feel like a lot of this, these issues would be better. But, you know, it is reality. And, and unfortunately, you know, we can talk about what needs to be changed. But those who are at the top level who are controlling and dictating these actions should hopefully start learning about these perspectives as well. And I think this change really starts in graduate school and current graduate students or undergraduates that are about to go to graduate school because in that point in your life, you're learning about research, but also about teaching. A lot of people have teaching assistantships where they do labs or kind of small courses. And I think it's at that point that it becomes important to not only focus on your research, but also focus on teaching. They're like great programs, um, I'm sure at other universities, but especially at the University of Georgia, we have a teaching certificate where you can go through and do different teaching courses and it teaches you different Mm -hmm. strategies on how to effectively kind of communicate information and educate students. So they do like flipped classrooms and um, all kinds of new educational techniques that kind of increase the interactivity between students and teachers, but also making it fun to go to class. The content is staying the same. The content is still being communicated, but we're doing it in kind of this new way that makes it more fun, um, is more educational, and is actually more practical in a real-world setting. Um, So I think it's important that we kind of advocate for, if you're in graduate school right now, like think about some of these opportunities Um, in teaching and how you can help kind of advocate for this new shift in our field and putting teaching first or at least moving it up closer um, to research. Yeah. And, you know, you mentioned graduate school. I want to touch a little bit on the um, In the Elements podcast where they, uh, towards the end of the first mental health episode, they interviewed uh, Sean Milrad about his graduate school experiences and, um, you know, having an advisor and a committee And just, you know, colleagues who are in that department who are very supportive of you in grad school is extremely important. And when you don't have that, it's an amazing amount of stress that can really lead to terrible, terrible things. And, you know, one thing that I always tell people about my graduate school search process was I really took a lot of time to do it. Granted, I took a year off between undergrad and graduate school. That was my gap year. And so I was really able to do a lot of digging, a lot of homework before I ended up choosing East Carolina University. But, 
you know, that's not the case for everybody. Not everybody has time. They jump right into graduate school after undergrad, you know, so they're a little bit more limited in what they can do and what they can scope out. But I think that if people are able to, you know, choose a graduate school, but also, you know, not only email the potential advisors uh, or potential committee members or professors at the school you want to work at, but also Skype with them or meet them in person. If those are options, you should certainly do that because if you're compatible with them on a personal level, you can talk about academia and research all you want, but also just talk to them, see if you can have a great conversation. If you feel it in your gut that that's somebody who could be your friend, maybe, maybe that's not what you want in an advisor, but for me, it was. And for me, I wanted to have, you know, faculty members who were very supportive. And I was able to find that through a lot of, you know, digging through different programs. But um, that can certainly help. And also talking to students at different programs before you go to see, you know, I've heard students tell me at some of the schools that I didn't apply to, that it's a very toxic environment. People are competing against one another all the time. And it's very cutthroat. I knew I didn't want to be in a program like that. I chose a program that was more small and intimate, where I felt that, Students could hang out with one another and we can all de-stress together, go on adventures and, and, you know, talk about research in school, but also have, you know, fun things that can help relieve stress. That's what I wanted. And so it's important to know a little bit more about what you may want and who you might be compatible with. Um, And, you know, that can hopefully alleviate a lot of the issues that are associated with the people at your school when you decide to go to your program. But that's not always going to solve everything. I know a lot of people who have done their due diligence and research schools and advisors and everything, and through no fault of their own, you know, things go down the drain, unfortunately, and they have to deal with it. And that's really unfortunate. But a lot of times I feel like if you are able to, and I know it's not easy for everybody, but if you're able to, to really do that digging and a little bit of homework to hopefully make that graduate school process just that much better. And, and just knowing what you're walking into so you can mentally prepare yourself to make sure that the two or three or four or five years will uh, not be too, too, too crazy. I mean, graduate school is already crazy, but if you can help <laughs> make some of that better, then it's uh, very well worth it. And just to add on to that, don't be afraid to choose an advisor that doesn't kind of live in your realm of research. Um so, for example, with my advisor, Dr. Grunstein, he does a lot of stuff at the intersection of climate and health, which is a close connection to kind of like weather and society, um, but it's not a direct link. And so I think it's important that you not only choose an advisor that works with you, but also don't take that if they don't do research in your area as this super important thing that will set you behind or put you behind. Um, it's important first and foremost to figure out how they advise. Um, so are you a person that needs constant kind of nudging in order to get deadlines met? Or are you a person that you work better when you're left alone and you can come to them when you have questions or if you have concerns? So I think it's important to ask the advisor how they advise, how are they advising? And also, like Min said, making that making that connection. It's a relationship first you're not going to have great advising if you don't have kind of respect for one another and um, have that kind of connection and relationship that you need in order to be successful in graduate school. So yeah. don't put the the research interests at the top of your list um, because it's okay in order to have that successful advising relationship. Yeah. If you can choose somebody who is world-renowned for what they research, but if they're just not a good person, do you really want to have 
that prestige behind you, but suffer through school or maybe not even make through all of school at all. I know a lot of people who choose their advisor because they're, you know, so famous in the meteorology world for what they do, but they're a complete rude person. (laughs) That's a really great way of saying it, but they're a terrible person. And the student has to deal with that and go through all of that because they're, they don't want to ruin that potential for, you know, their advisor to help them out in the future. But is it worth going through all that torture, honestly, for a graduate school? If you're A, you know, maybe not having a great relationship with your advisor, but B, working on a project that you just have no interest in. That's another thing, too. Um, right. If you're brought into a graduate program for a research grant or something else, you have to make sure you understand your role and your um, position in that research grant or in that research cohort. Because I know a ton of people who go into a program and they say, I'm doing work that I absolutely hate. And now they're making me tailor my thesis or my dissertation to right. something that I just the worst. don't want to do at all. And, you know, these are terrible things because when you go to grad school, you should, if you have an idea of what you want to do, you should be able to do it and they should support you. But if they, like, like for me, I came in on a research grant doing something that was completely irrelevant from my actual thesis. But I knew, I talked to my advisor and my committee and said, this is what it's going to be like. If you guys are okay with that, then I will gladly come here. And they were all very nice about it and said, yeah, you might be a little bit more work for you. But if you want to do something that's not related to your uh, grant, research grant work for your thesis, we will be there to support you no matter what. That's not Mm -hmm. always what you're going to hear from people. People are going to be, well, if you're not working on my grant for your thesis or your dissertation, then your mind is going to be somewhere else. and You're not going to be focusing on my research right well guess what it's not about the advisor it's about the student you're the one paying the money to go you're the one that's getting the education there there has to be a respect and just because you're a student doesn't mean you're important you're not important it doesn't mean that you should be walked over you know these are things that are extremely um important that unfortunately we go through a lot of people are willing to take advantage of graduate students in our field and to those people i mean shame on you honestly but for yep. those who are there and they know their role as a not only an advisor, but a mentor, a, a person who is helping to raise the next generation of meteorologists in atmospheric science or those who are related in those fields, that's the role of an advisor and a committee to make sure that the future generations are really taken care of and know that they can excel too. Um, you know, this episode is turning into a graduate school yeah. podcast, right? But I mean, these it's are okay, and it's fine. These are real things that we deal with. They are connected. <sighs> yeah, I think you have to be a champion of your own education. You have to stand up for yourself. You have to be the one. I mean, you're the one that comes away with education at the end of all this. You're not some lowly research assistant for your advisor. You have to ask these questions when you go and visit or if you're just emailing. You have to ask questions like, am I going to have my own choice of my research project? Am I going to be forced into a certain path? These are questions that are on you. You have to ask them when you're trying to figure out your your path, your advisor, the degree you want, the discipline that you want to go into. These are all important questions that you have to ask. And you have to remember that you are your own champion. You have to stand up for what you want. Yeah. It's important. Like it, it's. I cannot reiterate it, it enough. This is something that is you. It, this is all you. So you have to stand up for what you want and figure out the path that you want and fight for it.
Yeah, and you know that goes a little bit into what you were talking about before with me um, offline was for both of us we focus on the social science aspect of meteorology both in geography departments you also have a psychology background and as Gina Esco has put many times we felt like we were in a land of misfit toys on an island where we didn't belong with anybody a lot of folks around us were focused on forecasting or you know the more the physical meteorology side and it can seem like we're in a lonely bubble sometimes and that can take a toll on our mental health too um, yeah. Can you talk about some of your experiences with trying to um, go through school, knowing that you had a niche field that was a little bit different from others? Uh, I'm not going to lie. It sucks sometimes. Um, like you said, you are all. I mean, I'm all alone right now in my department. I'm the only person that's interested in weather communication and kind of combining this these social science aspects into weather. Luckily, all of the professors are very uh, they're behind, they're behind me. They have my back. They're super interested in this area. Um, and they're interested in having more students in this area, but it's just not something that we have. And so, like I said before, you have to fight for your own education. You have to show that it's important. At the end of the day, you have to stand up and be the one to voice your opinion on social science. You have to be willing to go down for social science. I mean, if this is what you're truly passionate about, you have to go after it with everything you've got. Yeah. And it- and sometimes that sometimes that leaves you on an island alone, but there are other people out there that are just like you. Yeah. There's I mean we have like the was this students That's uh, why we formed it, really. Yeah. Was to give support yeah. to people. Exactly. We we need to be there for each other because we are each other's people. Yeah. And you know, when you are able to go to an AMS meeting or another conference and you can meet people and, and find people with similar interests, you know, that's your network. That's your support group that may not be at your university itself. It, it may be. And that would be very awesome if it is. But, you know, for my undergraduate years, I was lucky enough that I knew that Castle was there. We worked on a lot of things together and I knew that he would be there. So that made it a little bit less lonely. And also professors who understood the the advantages of having an interest in social science and they too also were pursuing research in that field so that made things a little bit better as well um, but a lot of times I hear people who are you know at a university where they don't really care so much about that and it can be really difficult to keep going down that route when you don't have that support um, no matter what you study yeah if you ha- if you don't have that support though you don't feel like you have these internet resources or you don't feel like those connections are strong enough because you haven't been to an AMS meeting to kind of really start those relationships I would suggest you find other connections on campus like I you would be surprised like how many people are out there that are just like you that are interested in social science but in a different context but they still share you the passion for social science. So I have gone to like, I've taken classes in communications and those are my people. Like it's, it's the weirdest feeling to be in a room with people who study like communication of like fish diseases, the communication of like sexually transmitted diseases or I guess sexually transmitted infections now. Um, But you have all these people that study different contexts, but they, the core of them is communication. That's what they're passionate about. And that's where you find the common ground. Yeah. And it's just, it's so cool to have that, that support and those people that you can go to and be like, you know what? Today sucked as a social science day and they understand and they get it. They, they can help you with projects. They can help you think through different ways of approaching a problem that you just can't get from people in meteorology or people in physical science, because that's just not 
like where their priorities lie. Yeah. And so it's, if you don't have that network and that's something that you're craving, I strongly, strongly encourage you just go to a symposium or a colloquium or a brown bag or some type of meeting in another social science department and at least just kind of get your social science fix if that's something that you're missing in your life. Um, but go up and introduce yourself to one person. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and you start to make those connections one by one. And then you don't feel so lonely anymore. And it's just something that you can do in order to kind of, I don't know, like last to make yourself not go insane, like feeling alone and not being able to talk about anything with anyone. Because honestly, that's like my biggest fear in life is not being able to communicate or to share with someone that I love what I do. Yeah. Because oftentimes, like if I talk to my parents or my family and I'm just so excited about this result that I found or this thing that I read today in a social science journal, they just don't understand kind of the connections that I'm making and what I'm here for. And so that can be really frustrating in itself and feeling like you're, again, all alone. Yeah. And so make sure you you go out and find those connections if that's something that you're missing in your kind of your your life, your academic career, anything. And at the end of the day, like if you still can't find anyone, we're here. Yeah. We are those people. We can be your people. Um, <laughs> so just keep that in mind. Sorry, I'll get off my soapbox now. No, I'm man. Feeling, feeling it's, a little passionate. It's soapbox after soapbox. And I think that <laughs> you can hear the passion in our voices because we really we're here for we know what the struggle can be like and we want to be there and to share our story because we know that a lot of people are going through it, too. We're not alone. And by you and I telling our stories, you know, I, I'm, we're both putting a lot out there for the world, but also we hope that it can benefit a lot of people. And what you said too, you know, finding that support group isn't just for social science. It can be for your personal life. If, you yeah. know, if you are a gay or lesbian and you want to join an LGBT support group to help yourself, that's extremely important. If you, you know, do something, you have a hobby or a sport that isn't, you know, too widely participated in for what you do, there may be something in the community that you can participate in that would help you be less lonely. So there hopefully are ways, again, depending on where you live and where you are, that can be hard or easy, but um, there are ways that you can try to develop that support. And if you have questions, you know, please reach out to us. We can, we're not you know, counselors, but we can try to be like, we'll, we'll, we'll help you out we, if you we can. can listen. We are good at listening. We listen. We're good at talking, but we're also good at listening, which is a huge part of communication, which we've talked about many a times. Um, but yeah, you know, it's, this is a small community as large as it is. It truly is small. And yeah, if we're attacking each other, bringing each other down, that's not a community that I want to be a part of. But, you know, I think most people here want to help each other out and most people understand the struggle. The struggle is real. And if we can all help each other out in one way, if this podcast is that form or that medium that can help people out, you know, I'm extremely happy that we're doing this because I want to make sure that I'm there for everybody um, as much as I can be so that we can share a story, you can share your story, um, and everybody can just be happy. <laughs> Why can't we just all be happy? It's not like that girl from Mean Girls who doesn't even go there.
So, you know, a lot of people are sharing their story about their mental health struggles. And I recently shared a story on my Instagram about the um, I Don't Mind campaign. So I watched this TV show called Supergirl. It's a really great TV show on the CW. And a lot of those actors and actresses from that show are a part of the hashtag I Don't Mind campaign. And what that means is, you know, these people have dealt with a lot of things, but they don't mind talking about you know, their struggles and their mental health issues. And so they're trying to normalize the stigmas around around mental health. And part of the campaign involves uh, clothing. And it's a clothing line in a way of, you know, having t-shirts and things that you can wear proudly to tell people, you know, I don't mind talking about it. If you want to come up and talk to me about it, feel free. Your own struggles and issues that you're going through. And so for Christmas, my cousin bought me a t-shirt and so I, I wore it and, and did a little mini photo shoot with it uh, to kind of bring attention to things that I deal with, but also to recognize that we can all discuss, like we've been doing all podcasts, right? All episode we've talked about it. And so the I Don't Mind campaign is kind of a clothing line and, and people have kind of criticized them and said, are you just like a clothing line? Are you just selling clothes to make money? But all the money and proceeds actually go to uh, mental health education and awareness and that's really really awesome um you know a lot of times on social media the world that we live in today having nice looking clothes or pretty looking clothes and looking good is a big part of getting attention and so the i don't mind campaign is using that to their advantage and developing a clothing line and brand that looks really attractive but also helps to spur that conversation that may not be had if it wasn't as out there in that kind of way does that make sense kind of it does. Um, I actually went to the website, but it seemed like they only had a sweatshirt right now. Did you have you looked and? Yeah, I think right now maybe it's winter. They only have sweatshirts. I have a t-shirt. Oh. Um, it's a very simple, clean look, and that's something yeah, as I a uh, graphic person I love. Um, but it's like a rectangle, um, or a square, a white square with I don't mind, or a black square. Um, but they, you know, I I posted it. And a lot of people reached out to me and said, thanks for sharing your story because we've gone through this stuff too. And people don't talk about it as much, right? Um, right. So if you're interested, we'll post a link on our website. Um, some of the people, Christopher Wood uh, and Melissa Benoist from Supergirl are really uh, advocates for this uh, campaign. And it's something that I, I think is a great, great way to really um, spread the word about all the things that we've been talking about today. So if you're interested, I mean, you definitely don't have to buy anything, but it's just something to, to kind of maybe look into and say, oh, this is a really cool thing. Or maybe get someone a gift. Exactly. Castle, I'm going to get you something from there. What size do you wear? T-shirts? I would love once? it small. Okay, that's what I thought. Because I Thanks. got you a American Eagle t-shirt from New York. <laughs> yeah, you did. I still wear it. Um, Yeah, I think this is such a great idea because it's not only like clothing but it's also it just can quickly turn into a conversation yeah um i just think it's such a good idea because it's it's not only like fashionable but it's just like a it opens doors to discuss mental health which is just a cool exactly concept exactly you know what opens doors to people in their hearts justin timberlake (laughs) (laughs) wow what a transition that segue um so U.S. the Super Bowl, right? Or the not watch, the Super Bowl? <laughs> just kidding. You don't watch organized Heck sporting no. events. You watch the halftime show. Well, I didn't even watch it this oh, year. Oh, you didn't? I went on YouTube and watched it the day after. Oh shoot. Okay. 
Um, yeah. Do you like his new album and his performance during the Super Bowl? Um, it was okay. That's. I'm trying to. I'm trying to like think about it from like or comparing it to other performances in the past. Yeah. Um. So Katy Perry's was really good. Uh huh. Um, but I don't know. It was good. It, I felt like his microphone volume was too low. I felt like there was a lot of rock music in the background. Like I couldn't really hear what he was singing. It was odd. Yeah. So you could definitely tell that his microphone was on and like he was singing. Mm -hmm. So what he wasn't like, uh, lip syncing, lip syncing and, but he was dancing a lot. So I like commend him on dancing a lot and singing. Um, but I just felt like the microphone volume was like awkwardly low. Yeah. Um but I I think he chose all the right songs. Yeah. Um and gave a great tribute to Prince, which was great. Well, did you hear about the um, controversy behind that? No, I didn't. So Prince had always said that if he died, I think he was saying that he never wanted to be a hologram or because oh. like you know how other like Tupac, you know, had, had died and they made yeah, him yeah, into yeah. a hologram. He was saying like if I ever died, I don't want to be a hologram. And so he wasn't really a hologram. It wasn't. Though. It was it like was a, projection a projection on a curtain. But people were really yeah. pissed off about that too, because it was almost like he went against, Going against Prince's wishes. wishes or something like that. I didn't really do much yeah. digging into it because I didn't really care about the show. But I was like, ooh, that could be potentially That's kind true. of controversial for him to to be a part of that, even though it was kind of like, don't do that, you know? Yeah, I liked it though. They like harmonized together. It was pretty cool. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I didn't watch the show, the halftime show, because I was playing HQ trivia. <laughs> they were giving like twenty thousand dollars away. How do you know about that? No, what is HQ trivia? Okay. Oh, I did see your Snapchat doing it though. Yeah, yeah. So it's an app where you are playing trivia with like a million or two million people all around the world, and you know they're based out of I think New York City, and they ask like twelve to fifteen questions and like twice a day at three p.m. and nine p.m. Eastern time. And they ask questions. You have 10 seconds from when they start asking the question to choose your answer. And they have three multiple choice question or answer choices. So they'll ask you a question. And then as they're asking the question, time's already ticking. The 10 seconds are already counting down. And you have to choose between three different answer options. And if you get all 12 or all 15 questions right, then you split the jackpot with as many people who win. So I think during the Super Bowl, you know, the jackpot was 20 grand. And I think a hundred or two hundred people won, so each person gets like a hundred or something dollars, and oh. you uh, it just goes to your PayPal account. Um, oh. But I think they do a lot of like sponsorships to get the money, you know, stuff like that. But HQ yeah, trivia started; it started blowing up. Maybe around AMS, my friend Eli actually was like, "Hey, do you want to play HQ trivia?" And I was like, uh, "I mean, I'm on the way to exhibit hall, but sure, I'll play." And so we we <laughs> sat in the hallway and played. And um, people were giving talks, and it was funny because I feel like we were being kind of loud because it was like you have to have it on, you know, loudness for a speaker, and and playing it. But it, it's a lot of fun. Um, there's some issues with controversies with the game as well in the app. I'll let you guys do your own digging into that. But uh, I don't play very often, but everybody around me was playing, and so it seems to be that your better option is to play with a large group of people because your odds of winning are better if. You know, everybody. Um, you can talk about. Yeah, it. you can like yell it out the answer and, or or whatever. You know, but uh, yeah, that's I guess that's one tactic. But we did not watch the hmm. the halftime show. We I didn't really care about the Super Bowl honestly. Anyway, I didn't care for any team. But if if I had to choose, Philly was definitely the team. I don't like the <laughs> I don't like the New England Patriots that's at all. That's how everyone felt. Everybody except for people who live in New England. Yeah. Yeah. Pretty much like the Georgia and Alabama game. Everybody wanted Georgia to win. <laughs> uh, sad day. 
anyway speaking of sporting events the olympics has started i may or may not be currently watching that as we record <laughs> what it's on my ipad i muted it but i'm watching the the oh figure skating gosh. it's a team figure skating event that's actually happening before the opening ceremony which is happening yeah later to tonight in in uh, korea but later in the morning at like six in the morning so, eastern time so why are they doing do they always do that or why um, is the opening ceremony after the events start well between the opening and closing ceremonies there are only, there's only a small amount of time right for the summer olympics well, it's like, it's like week, three right? weeks two for weeks. the winter olympics i think like about two weeks yeah and they just can't fit everything in so they're doing the team figure skating event where there are different people from the country and they all skate like the short program for men's and now i'm watching the um doubles uh pair skating event um but yeah so it's i mean it's been great i'm really excited to watch it um nathan chen is this 18 year old figure skater from salt lake city utah and he is supposed to be amazing there's so much hype about him he uh so in figure skating you know how you do your jumps right you there's a single yes. double triple and, triple and quad axle, yeah so he has landed five quad jumps in a single program and that is like completely unheard of because it's so hard to even land one quad many men and women struggle with landing a quad and so the fact that he landed five in a program before it was insane so today i delayed our recording because he was skating at 901 p.m for his short program for the team so competition specific. yeah i know they they got to make sure it's right <laughs> then um but you know before him people were falling down left and right it was insane and when we uh you know i was watching the the thing and your friend shana our friend shana was on twitter and we were tweeting back and forth yeah, about it. it and he actually fell uh he, <gasps> he fell a couple of times and it was like holy moly like People don't ever see him fall. He's almost flawless when he's skating. He had the warm-up where he was landing quads like really easily when the cameras are on him. And he, I watched some YouTube videos of him today. But yeah, he fell a couple of times and ended up, I think, fourth place in after the uh, standings uh, for the team competition. This doesn't affect his individual run for the medal. But okay, for the team competition, it does. And <laughs> certainly, you know, you can be as good as you want. But like they said, the commentators were saying, when you land on the Olympic ice... You know, it's a completely different world. It doesn't matter how many times you've practiced, you know. It's yeah. You're gonna get some nerves. He's only eighteen. Pressure's on. Exactly. The pressure is totally on. So um yeah, I mean, rooting for him and all the other uh, Olympic athletes from the United States, but it was tough watching that. I was thinking like, wow, you know, this is kind of scary. He's been like on point up until now. And then the time where it matters for the first competition on you know, ice in, in Korea and Pyeongchang, it, it did not end very well for him. It was what they said was disastrous. I don't know if it was that bad, but oh my lord, <laughs> yeah, they're you know, they can be a little dramatic when they're talking about it, but it wasn't like disastrous, yeah. but uh, it wasn't great, it was not good at all, uh, for what he can do. Um, so yeah, it's gonna be a very interesting about two, two and a half weeks of watching the Winter Olympics, but I'm very excited for it. Um, apparently, Korea is getting some of the coldest weather it's had in a long time. Um, Ooh, 21 degrees perfect. Fahrenheit, I think, this morning in Korea. So that's pretty chilly. And a lot of people are coming down with the flu, too, which is scary as well. Oh, no. Yeah. Yeah, I got a alert yesterday that said it was going to be 2 degrees yesterday or something Fahrenheit like or that. Celsius? Like, yeah, fa Fahrenheit. Ew, that's cold. Yeah, so it is pretty cold. Wow. Um, it's hard to believe that we're talking about the Olympics already when I just feel like we had our episode last year for the Summer Olympics. Yeah, right? It's crazy to 
Well, it was uh, over a year ago because the Summer Olympics were in 2016. Oh, they were? Yeah. Oh, that was when I was in Denver. Well, dang. <laughs> <laughs> it mix, makes your case even stronger, huh? Yeah. Dang, dang, dang. Yeah, that's funny. The other thing that's going on right now is Big Brother Celebrity Edition, Ooh. which is what I will be watching instead of the Olympics. <laughs> Weren't you trying to get on the show at one point? Wasn't that like a goal of yours to be on Big oh, Brother? It was a goal, but I don't think it's going to happen because... Dissertation, PhD life. Di- I'm dissertating. Yeah. <laughs> this summer I'm dissertating. Um, it was a goal, but now I don't know if I want to do it anymore. Well, you can live vicariously um, through the people on the show now. And see, I can. You know. Well, do you want to move on to Song of the Week? I would. I would love to. Um, okay. What is your Song of the Week? It's then? a little bit of a throwback. Uh, so, you know, I, I talked about it. Throwback Thursday. Yeah. It is Thursday, the day that we're recording, which is cool. I know. Um, it's not turn back time like I thought it was. That's definitely not what hashtag TBT <laughs> stands for. That's so awkward. <laughs> so awkward. Um. I told you I put it on a Christmas card, right? Yeah, you did. That's embarrassing. That's super <laughs> embarrassing. That's you should just go away. I'm kidding. Um, so it's a little bit of a throwback. I told you earlier about how Coldplay really helped me get through a lot of stuff, and so yeah. one of the songs was "The Scientists," and the song is a little bit about like the power of love and how sometimes you know you can feel hopeless in the power of love and the fates of love. Um, but it was something that I played a lot. The The melody really got me through. I would sing it all the time. I would be sobbing sometimes and crying singing it. But it, it made me feel better. And as time went on, I would play it all the time. Um, and it was part of me healing and getting better um, definitely throughout that junior year. So um, if you wait until the end of the podcast and the credits and everything, uh, I, was actually, <laughs> I was actually recording me singing it for fun. And I actually <laughs> like how it sounds. Uh, I swear this microphone I'm using is making me sound a lot better than I actually am in real life. But uh, you can hear some of the song. Uh, it's not copyright, right? Because I sang it. Not I didn't use Chris Martin's voice. So, uh, yeah, if you want to stick around later, you might hear a little bit. <laughs> a little stick bit. around for the debut of the next pop star. <laughs> Dropping my album, my mixtape. Mixtape. <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, what about for you? What's your song of the week? Um, so my song of the week this week is courtesy of the amazing Pop Rising playlist mm. that is on fire right now. Um <laughs> I have chosen Decline by Ray, I'm assuming, is how you say it. Not like Ray A. <laughs> Ray A. Ray. It's R-A-Y-E. I don't think Ray A is how it goes. Unless it's <laughs> like an accent mark on it. Asento. <laughs> um, so Ray and also a bunch of producers, but I just didn't want to put their names down. Uh, okay. Um, All right. <laughs> <laughs> um, and so basically, I'm not really sure what the song is about. I'm pretty sure it's about like getting over a relationship um, but I haven't really dug deep into it. But the thing that really caught my attention was it sounds like kind of like a uh not a Beyonce song, but like what was the group? Destiny's Child. It does. It has kind of like this throwback, like nineties, late nineties, early two thousands vibe mm-hmm. to it. Yeah. Um, which is like what really struck me. But then I started doing some digging and figured out that it was a mashup of the song always on time by j rule and ashanti from you just said j rule that no man it's ja rule come on where were you ja at? rule it's ja rule and ashanti yeah i don't never heard of ja rule whoa wow he was like the king of like the 90s oh, and really? mid, early 2000s yeah yeah 
I watched the music video. It was pretty sad. Like, most of it was him washing his hands, Aww. which was really weird. Cleansing. Yeah, but anyway, so it's a mashup of that. She uses, like, the first two like lines of, of the chorus. Yeah, she uses the first two lines of the chorus in order to, like, portray her story. Yeah. And so it's, like, really cool. And she uses a little bit of the... She samples a little bit of the music. Can you too, sing so. some of it now? No, I can't. Okay, well, you, I got I mean, you to I sing can, last time. I, <laughs> I can, but I refuse. Okay, fine. Well, you can just hear my beautiful voice at the end, so blah. Yeah, we'll, we'll save the pop stardom for you. <laughs> <laughs> we'll leave uh, that I you. love singing in the shower and singing in the car, so this is uh, a little weird for me, but you know. I've, step up. It's a step up. Yeah, I mean, I sing every now and then on, on the podcast, <laughs> but this one I was like really just belting it out. It was weird. Um, anyway. Love it. So I guess uh, we'll do the credits. We'll run the credits. And uh, hopefully this podcast has been enlightening for you. You know, we've shared some stuff. And if you would ever like to share your story with us, please reach out to us. Um, you can yes. do so. Uh, find us in a variety of places at facebook.com slash weatherhype or also weatherhypepodcast.com. You can also find us on Twitter at weatherhype or you can send us an email at weatherhype at gmail.weatherhype at gmail.com and reviews are lovely if you want to you can feel free to leave us a review on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play any of those uh, places where you can find our podcast Um, we'll also post different resources on our website for uh, different mental health strategies as well as um, different resources for you to find help if you need additional assistance in dealing with yeah uh, certain mental health for sure um but yeah thanks for joining us today and uh as always as always stay until next time, until next time. oh wow I, ch- I was like wait there's something missing i was like i don't know <laughs> as always all right until next time until next time stay hyped, stay hyped. Come up to meet you, tell you I'm sorry, you don't know how lovely you are. I had to find you, tell you I need you, tell you I set you apart. Tell me your secrets, and ask me your questions. Oh, let's go back to the start Running in circles Coming up tails Heads on a science apart Nobody said it was easy It's such a shame for us to part Nobody said it was easy No one ever said it would be this hard Oh, take me back to the side Sorry, I literally just, uh...